Lord Jesus, just once again, thank you for the privilege of just being in your house this morning. Father, we just ask that you will continue to show up. Father, as we go to your word now, Lord, we pray that it will penetrate deep into each one of our hearts and souls and mind, Father. And as a result of our, our, our reading and our studying of your word, may we leave this place forever changed this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me take this opportunity to thank you for the time that you allowed my wife and I to be gone this past week on vacation. We had a very restful time, and so we thank you for that. And I want to thank Chief um, for preaching last week. Um, I know he did a great job, and and this morning is actually going to be a continuation of what he preached last week. This morning we're looking at the doctrine of salvation, and so I'm looking forward to just seeing how God is going to continue to speak to our heart as we go through this Believe Sermon series. How many of you have ever read um, the devotional book, um, The Purpose Driven Life? It was a 40-day devotional, came out probably 10 plus years ago. Great devotion. Um, The beginning of that first chapter starts with this. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. He goes on to write write later in that first chapter, you were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. You and I were created for a purpose. And I want you to know this morning that you were created for a purpose. You and I were not created just to suck in air and to fill in, fill up space. We were created and designed by God intentionally for his purpose to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. I want you to say with me this morning, I was created by God for God. Say that with me. I was created by God for God. This morning, we're going to be continuing our Believe Sermon series as I indicated a second ago, and we're going to be looking at the doctrine of salvation. Our key question this morning is, how do I have a relationship with God? How do I have a relationship with God? If you grew up in church, you're like, I know exactly how I have a relationship with God, so I'm going to just go ahead and, 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 and just shut out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go into my own little world right now. I don't want you to do that this morning. I want you to pay attention, be fully engaged this morning as we look at the doctrine of salvation because this has ramifications for each one of us in this room, whether we're a believer or an unbeliever this morning. So this morning, I want to share with you not only how you can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want you to know what to do once you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Many of you have this passage memorized. Um, you memorized it as a kid or somewhere um, throughout your adult life. But this is what this verse says. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Point number one this morning is this. We are saved by grace. What does it mean to be saved? The definition for the word save is this, to keep safe or rescue someone or something from harm or danger. Before a person can be saved, they must be first lost or they must be first drowning in some state of despair or helpless or helplessness or, um, they, they are at the end of their rope physically. How many of you in this room have ever been saved physically from someone or something that was going on in your life? Several of us in this room. You know, I'll never forget several years ago um, the, the hours that led up to the birth of our daughter, Caitlin. The night before she was born, it was a Sunday night, and we were at church, and I remember Danny coming up to me and sharing with me that she had to go home because she was just not feeling well. And and Danny is not one to get sick, so I knew right away that something was not right. Um, But throughout Danny's pregnancy with Caitlin, there was time after time where she was either sick um, with morning sickness or she just had real pains in her back or in her side. And so whenever she went home, I knew that something was wrong. This is about six weeks before Caitlin was due. And she, she went home and a couple hours later, later I get home. And I remember as I walked in the front door of the house, Danny was just buckled over crying and just an excruciating pain. And so I told Danny, hey, we're going to the hospital. We're going right now. So we loaded up the car. We took Connor by his mama and papa's house, dropped him off there. And then we rushed to the hospital. And, and I remember when we arrived at the hospital, they immediately rushed Danny back into the maternity ward just to check on her vitals and to check on Caitlin's vitals. And after a couple hours, they finally got Danny's pain under control. And I will never forget the, um, the nurse that was watching over my wife as we stood at the foot of her bed. I remember that nurse, that nurse turning to me and saying that this could have easily turned out to be a bad episode of ER. If you are in the medical profession, please never say to a patient that this could be a bad episode of ER. It could have easily turned into that. I remember whenever she shared that with me, I knew that Danny was sick, but I had no idea how sick that she was until that nurse said that. And then the, the next several hours, we realized just how, how sick she was. They immediately had to do an emergency um, um, C-section. Caitlin was born six weeks premature. Danny had issues for the next several days. Basically, what her body did was her body began to reject 
Caitlin just like a person would reject an organ donation. So this was a serious situation. And I remember after Caitlin was born and after Danny finally started to recover, I remember just thinking to myself how easily that day um, I could have lost my wife and my daughter. And the reality of the seriousness of that just set in on that day. Some of you have had similar situations in your life. If it wasn't for a doctor or a friend or a military comrade or a a complete stranger, physically you would have died. Physically you would have lost your life. Here's the reality to life itself. One day, every single one of us in this room will die a physical death. We will take our last breath on planet earth. My question for you this morning is, if you were to take your final breath this morning or this afternoon or this evening, do you know for certain where you would spend eternity? Scripture is clear that we will either spend eternity in heaven if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ or we will spend eternity in hell separated from the Lord Jesus Christ because we chose not to believe in him. Are you saved this morning? Have you come to the point in your life where you have been saved from the pits of hell? The Greek word for save is this word sozo. It means to rescue or heal. Or it means to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. When a person is saved, what it means is that they are rescued from the curse of sin and completely healed from the disease that accompanies sin. Sin is a disease. It eats away at us spiritually. It destroys us spiritually. This morning, are you saved is a question. You and I If we are saved or if you are not saved, there's only one way in which you can be saved. And that is by God's grace, not by anything else. Our scripture this morning states, for by grace you have been saved. Just think about that this morning. By grace you have been saved. Just think to yourself, I have been saved by grace. I have been saved by grace. This morning we sang one of my favorite hymns, God's Grace. And the chorus of that, once again, is grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Man, what a great hymn that is. Grace is this. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Translated, grace is God's undeserved favor. There's just one thing that you and I deserve. What we deserved was hell. But grace is this. Grace is is the Lord Jesus Christ leaving heaven and coming to this earth and living a perfect life so that you and I can enter into a relationship with him as a result of his death on the cross, as a result of him being buried in a tomb and rising from the dead three days later, you and I can have life through Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear that our sin separates us from God. 
And there's only one way to be reconciled with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. An atheist once said to his friend, If there is a God, may he prove himself to me today by striking me dead. So he waited for a moment, and he was not struck dead. And he turned to his friend, and he said, See, there is no God. Had there been a God, he would have struck me dead just then. And his friend said to him, that just proves one thing, that he's a gracious God. You and I do serve a gracious God who has provided a way for us to enter into a relationship with him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of us know this passage, but it's an important passage when we talk about grace and salvation for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that's ever walked this planet with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from God. And there's actually a penalty for our sin according to Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, what we deserve is death. Eternal separation from God in hell. But that passage goes on to say, Paul went on to write, said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What we deserve is hell, but the gift that God provided each and every one of us in this room is life. And life occurs when we enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We accept his graciousness, and we are saved from our sin. To be saved is to be justified. To be justified is to be made as if we had never sinned before. And that's exactly what God will do for each and every one of you if you have not called on the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. When you call on the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as the king and the ruler of your life, scripture is clear that you will be forgiven, you will be justified, you will be made as if you had never sinned before. That's the beauty of salvation. That is the beauty of God's grace, being made as if we had never sinned before. One illustration that I came across says this. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated, what if any belief is unique to Christianity? And they they threw thing after thing out at one another. For example, they said the incarnation is unique to Christianity, but someone chimed up in the room. Other religions have different versions of God's appearing in human form. They said, how about the resurrection? And someone in the room said, again, other religions have instances where their gods came back from the dead. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis walked into the room and he asked, what is the commotion all about? And, And they said, well, we're trying to identify what about Christianity is unique. And C.S. Lewis quickly said, that's easy, it's grace. It's God's grace. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge with no strings attached seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Within every world religion, man must do something to earn their salvation. Within Buddhism, they have an eightfold 
path. Within Hinduism, there is the doctrine of karma. Within um, Judaism, man must live under the covenant law. Within Islam, they must live based on the code of the law. Each of these offer only a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. You realize that, right? It's only within Christianity that God's love is unconditional. God's grace is unconditional. Nothing has nothing to do with anything you or I do. In verse 8 and 9, Again, within our passage this morning, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Then this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Did you hear that last sentence there? Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Our salvation has nothing to do with us. It's all God. Why is that? Why does our salvation not have anything to do with us? Because you and I are boastful people, aren't we? If our salvation had anything to do with us, then what would we do? We would take credit for salvation. We would take credit for it. We would boast in it. I know this because you and I are prideful people. Anytime we can take credit for anything, we take credit for it immediately, don't we? And so if salvation had anything to do with us, if salvation um, within Christianity was works-based, then we'd be quick to boast in ourselves. But it's not works-based. It is grace-based. It is by grace that we are saved. Point number two this morning is that we are saved through faith. You and I are saved through faith. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You and I were saved by grace. God reached down out of heaven and saved us because he loved us. And if we are saved by grace, then what does it mean that we are saved through faith? What is faith? The simplest definition that I have for faith is this. Faith is taking God at his word and obeying. Faith is taking God at his word and obeying him and obeying his word. David Allen wrote, Faith is the objective grounds upon which subjective confidence may be based. Such faith springs from a personal encounter with God. The kind of faith enables one to venture into the future supported only by the word of God. Such faith has the capacity to unveil the future so that the solid reality of events as yet unseen can be grasped by the believer. You know, one of my favorite movie series is the Indiana Jones series. I love Harrison Ford. Okay, many of you like Harrison Ford because he's Han Solo. He's good as Han Solo, but he's great at Indiana Jones. I mean, he really is, right? How many of you agree? Anybody? Come on, Indiana Jones, I love it. But I, and, and one of those series in the, in the Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones is faced with a, with a, um, a situation. 
He comes to a large divide, to a large chasm, and he has to get from point A to point B, and there's literally no way for him to do it on his own. Normally, what Indiana Jones would do is he'd pull out his whip, and he'd whip that sucker around a tree limb or around a protruding rock, and he would just swing over to the other side. Well, in this particular scene, um, that was not an option, and so he comes um, to this divide, And he begins to wrestle with how he's going to get from point A to point B. And so he pulls out his trusty book and he looks through it and he gets an idea from his book. And what he ends up doing is he closes his book. He closes his eyes and he begins to just reflect. I would like to say that he was praying, but probably not. Um, he, he, He begins to reflect on the situation. And Indiana Jones does this. He takes a leap of step of faith and he steps out onto an invisible divide. And that land bridge, a land bridge just shows up and he's able to cross to the other side. Well, he's trying to get to the other side because his dad was dying and he had to get there to rescue him. But that's such a great um, scene of what faith is. Faith is us stepping into the unknown, knowing that God is there to, to save us, to rescue us. He has our back. Faith is knowing that when God says, I got you, he really does have you. Faith is knowing that when God says go, he is going to lead you and I to the spot that he is calling us to go. Think back, um, if you're visiting with us, um, we went through a sermon series this summer called Heroes. And literally what we did throughout the summer is we took Hebrews chapter 11. And we looked at faith champion after faith champion and, and walked through their faith stories. And some of those faith stories are, for example, Abel. Um, scripture says that Abel's sacrifice was more righteous than Cain's. And as a result of his sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abel's life still preaches today. We looked at Enoch, and Enoch is is my hero in Scripture. Scripture says about Enoch that he walked with God and he was no more. And then we came to Noah. And Noah, as you know, God told him to construct a giant boat in the middle of the desert during a time that had yet to see rain. And why did he do this? Because God instructed him to build it so that he could rescue his family from the impending storm. So we looked at at Noah and then we came to Abraham. And by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham waited. And by faith, Abraham multiplied. And then we went in and we looked at the faith of Sarah, the faith of Isaac, the faith of Jacob, and the faith of Joseph. Then that brings us to Moses. And we know the story about Moses. Moses um, delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh's captivity and led them before the gates of the promised land. Then we looked at Joshua. And Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. And one of the first places that they came to was the city of Jericho. You remember the city of Jericho had these large walls. And what did God instruct the Israelites to do in order to bring down those walls? They were to march around the city. And on the final day when they marched around at that final time, they were instructed to shout. And so they shouted and the walls of Jericho fell. Every 
portion of that wall fell with the exception of one portion. And that is the home of where Rahab lived. And it was Rahab that we came to next. And, and by faith, Rahab hid the spies. And as a result of that, God protected Rahab that day and her family. And then we went on and looked at Gideon and David and some other of the, the prophets. These men and women, they took God at his word and they obeyed because of their faithful obedience, their stories are recorded for us in the Bible. They're there for us to study. They're there for us to be encouraged because of their acts of faith. Think about these faith champions. Man, these faith champions were pioneers. Abraham took a step of faith, and because of his faithfulness, a race of people were born, the Israelites. Abraham did not have a Bible to guide him, did he? Abraham did not have the physical word of God. He did not have a growth group leader to instruct him. He did not have a pastor to shepherd him. In fact, scripture tells us that, that Abraham had a pagan dad that taught Abraham to worship pagan gods and not the one true God. Many of our faith champions, all they had was the oral word that was passed down from generation to generation. Or they had divine encounters with God via dreams or visions or like Moses through the burning bush. Or they had God speak to them audibly or God sent one of his agents to them to speak to them. These men and women had limited resources, yet They were faithful because they took God at his word and obeyed. You and I do not have limited resources, do we? We have the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible to guide us and direct us. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers to to be our counselor, to be our our guide, to be um, our intercessor. We have countless recorded stories throughout all of human history that records great men and women of faith and their faithfulness to taking a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, as Our faith giants of old, we have a prayer life that we can pray and commune with the Father, our spirit, and the spirit of God. We have all of these different things to help us as we walked faithfully with the Lord. You know, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in God's Word is Philemon chapter 6. This is a great chapter that talks, or verse that talks about God's faithfulness. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. When you and I are actively sharing our faith, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit teaches us, and we're able to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we share our faith, the Holy Spirit reveals to us more and more about himself. When we share our faith and live faithfully, then we grow more and more in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So point number one, we are saved by grace. Point number two, we are saved through faith. And our final point this morning is we are saved for work. So our first purpose in life is to know God. Our next purpose in life is to make him known. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to reemphasize once again that you and I are saved by grace. Okay, has nothing to do with anything that we have ever done. It's all about God reaching down and saving us. We are saved by grace, not because of anything we did, okay? But it's important for us to understand we're saved by grace, but every single one of us in this room that are saved are saved to work, okay? You and I are saved for good works, James 2, 14 through 17 says this. What God, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You and I demonstrate our faith on a daily basis by living obediently. We live obediently in accordance with God's word. You and I are saved for good works. What does that mean? You and I were saved to go. We were saved to go and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. These are some of the last words that the Lord Jesus left the disciples. He also left them before he ascended to take his rightful seat next to the Father. Acts 1.8, which says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utter most parts of the world. That's what Acts 1.8 says. So you and I were saved to go. We were saved also to be generous. We are saved to take care of those that are in need, whether that be widows and orphans, whether that be the least of these. You and I have been saved for good works to take care of one another, both believers and unbelievers. Matthew 25, 40, Jesus said this, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When you and I live faithfully and we are active in, in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and guess what happens? Other people have an opportunity to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are called to go. We are called to be generous. We are called to love others. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We are called to love others. We are we are called to grow daily in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to make disciples. We are called to glorify God. You and I were, were, were not just saved to sit on our hands and live our lives um, in accordance with the ways of this world. 
You and I were saved for a purpose. That purpose is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the streets, around the world, in our schools, at our places of employment, within our homes, within our neighborhoods, within the grocery line, wherever it might be, we are called to to advance the gospel. One illustration says this, it is easy to determine when something is aflame. It ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. A church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms, just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. You and I We're saved for the purpose of doing good works, for showing love and mercy and grace to those that we come in contact with. Remember, you were created by God and for God. You and I must be about the Great Commission. We must be about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ across these cities and around the world. How will the world know we are saved Unless we go. How will they know we are believers in Jesus Christ unless we tell them? How will they know how they can be rescued from the pits of hell unless we introduce them to Jesus Christ? All of us in this room know people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? You know people. They may be in your own household. They may be in your extended family. They may be someone that you share a locker next to at school or a classmate that sits next to you. Maybe a neighbor. It may be a co-worker. But every single one of us in this room knows somebody that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's my challenge for all of us in this room this morning. It's to begin to pray for that person or those people's salvation. This morning, um, some of you um, received in your bulletin a card. The reason I say some of you is because um, we went through and we picked up a lot of these that fell out of your bulletin this morning. Um, But many of you received a card in your bulletin this morning. On the front, it just says, believe. On the back, it says, I am praying for the salvation of. Also, at the bottom of your bulletin, there's also the takeaway where I am praying for blank person's salvation. Here's my challenge for every single one of us in this room, okay, that knows someone that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to place their name on this card or a card that you make at home and place it in a prominent spot, whether that be in your your bathroom or on your steering wheel and be reminded of that person's name this week and the weeks to come that you are going to pray for that person's salvation, okay? Now, understand this. You've got to do more than just pray for them. You've also have... We have to introduce them to the God of the universe. We have to introduce them and show them how they can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, Um, And so we're going to help you with that. Um, In the next few weeks, we're actually going to have an evangelism training time here at the church where we're going to walk through how you can lead someone to faith. 
Okay, many of you already know that how to do that. Some of you don't feel comfortable sharing your faith, and so we're going to walk with you and help you um, with sharing the good news with somebody. Okay, so today pray for them. Pray that God will give you opportunities to share with them. And let me just tell you this. It's easy to share, to invite someone to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You do that simply by introducing them to God, sharing with them who Jesus is, and inviting them to respond to Christ. Okay? Think back to how you came, became a believer okay? and what happened that led up to those steps. And then share that with somebody. That's your testimony. So it's easy to introduce somebody to Christ, okay? What we're going to do is we'll help you with some of those fundamental tools as well to help you memorize some scripture and maybe make it flow a little bit better, okay? So pray for this person, okay, or these people daily, multiple times a day. Place it in a prominent spot around. Now, let's say that you are praying for someone's salvation. Uh, maybe it's a coworker, and you go to, to lunch a lot with that co- co-worker. Okay, here's what I would encourage you not to do. When your coworker gets into your car the first time, don't let them see that you're praying for the salvation of them, okay? Unless you have a really good relationship and you've already introduced them to Jesus Christ before, okay? Um, so if that's the case, you got in a prominent place in your car, when they get into the car with you, maybe you put it somewhere else or something and you ease into sharing with them that you're praying for them, okay? So just a, just a, um, some helpful, a helpful hint there, okay? But let's, as a faith family, begin to pray for people's salvation, okay? In this room, we have over 100 people this morning. Can you imagine if over 100 of us began daily to pray for individual salvation? Can you imagine what will happen um, to that person or those people's lives? Let's pray that God will give us opportunities to share with them. Now, here's the reality. Some of you, as you sit where you're sitting, you may be like, man, I just don't know any saved, any non-saved people, any non-Christians. Okay, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Find some unbelievers. Get in proximity of unbelievers because that's what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to engage the lost of this world. So let's be active in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So this morning we've looked at how we are saved by grace. We are saved through faith and we are saved unto good works. So let's be about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of the things that I shared with you this morning, or you may even be thinking back to chief's message last week on salvation. Maybe something that you have heard that you just realize, you know what? I've been going to church for 50 years, 60 years. I thought that I was a Christian, but I'm really not a Christian. And so today I want to surrender my life over to Jesus Christ. I want to experience his grace. I want to experience his salvation. So if you're here this morning, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning to enter into a relationship with Christ. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while and the Lord's just like, Hey, God's calling us to join this church. We invite you to come to be a part of this faith family. 
You may be here this morning, and as a result of um, God impressing upon your heart and your mind somebody to pray for, you may need to come to this altar this morning and just kneel and pray specifically for that person's salvation. Pray that God will give you boldness to pray, um, to, to share with them. I don't know what decision that you need to make this morning, but I invite you this morning to come. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a a closing prayer, and Bill um, is going to lead us in um, worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now, Lord Jesus. Father, just thanking you for saving us. Thank you for your grace. So undeserved. What we deserve was hell. But grace was demonstrated to us when you died on the cross. Romans 5 8, God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us and providing a way that we can enter into a relationship with you, be forgiven of our sins, and know without a shadow of a doubt that if we were to die today, we'd spend eternity with you in heaven. So, Father, if there's someone here this morning that has not received you as their Lord and Savior, they've never repented of their sins, I pray this morning that they will come. They'll do that. There may be a family here this morning that's been visiting this church a while, and today is the day that you're calling them to join. And, Father, I pray that that will happen. Lord, this altar this morning may just need to be filled with believers coming and praying specifically for men and women and students and children that you've impressed upon our hearts, Lord Jesus. Just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.